0: Hello, and welcome to the 35th episode of the LI Law Podcast. I am your host, Zahava Schechter. The premise of this podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law, and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live or work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this 35th episode is Janet Nina Esigoff, Esquire, an attorney specializing in real estate law and civil litigation practice in Great Neck. Please check out the show notes for a full list of Janet Esigoff's credentials and contact information. Please also keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. Janet, welcome to the podcast. It's
1: so great to be here.
0: Janet, please tell us about yourself. How did you come to specialize in real estate law and civil litigation practice? So I am a second career
1: attorney My prior career, I was a business owner. I started my undergrad career many, many moons ago uh, at Hofstra University. After a year at Hofstra University, I decided I wanted more technical experience in the world of fashion because that was my mother's uh, career and my grandmother's career. And I decided the general business curriculum at Hofstra was a little bit too vague for me. So I transferred to the Fashion Institute of Technology and uh, by the age of 19, I had my associate's degree, and I decided it was time to venture out in the real world and open a business. So that's what I did. I opened my first uh, retail location of Javon Jr.'s. It was in Scarsdale, New York. And uh, what we did was we designed and created uh, evening wear for women and girls. And uh, just like my mother and my grandmother before me, it was a family trade. I enjoyed it. Uh, I did a lot of psychology with my customers about what they wanted to wear and what made them feel powerful. Uh, My business got off the ground. I was doing quite well. I got married. I had four children. Then 9-11 happened, and I realized that something missing in my life was a college degree. I decided at the age of 32 to go back to college. I got my bachelor's degree at the age of 34, and because of some of the courses I took, I became interested in the law. It just so happens my twin sister is a matrimonial attorney. My younger sister is a physician, and I quite felt like the candlestick maker, and I needed a college degree. Fast forward, uh, at the age of 40, I graduated law school, the Hofstra School of Law. Uh, I also became separated and divorced, and I started a second chapter in my life, which is being an attorney. The first jobs I got were right after the financial crisis of 2008. It was difficult to find work, but given my somewhat advanced age, I found it easier to get jobs. I had a nice run of work with foreclosure firms, and I did bank prosecution of foreclosures. I did that for the first five years of my practice, and there came a point where my entrepreneurial side came back into force, and I decided it was time for me to open my own practice. Janet, what are three tips you might give a client who wants to avoid a lawsuit? So given my business background, and I'm somewhat of a pragmatic approach to the law, I always advise my clients to get things in writing, that goes easily, especially with everyone having a phone in their hand, text a conversation, text a receipt, always get it in writing. If you could do it by email, even better, but always try to memorialize what's happening because later down the line, it's difficult to prove a claim or defend against a claim if you don't have some something in writing to demonstrate what actually happened. Another thing that I tell my clients, a lot of it is problem solving. So if you're um, defending against a lawsuit, well, what are your goals in defending it do you actually have a counterclaim and can we talk about that being an offset to the litigation and i always tell my clients how do we make the case smaller we don't want to make the case bigger a lot of my clients are not looking for a windfall they're looking to move on with their lives so if they have a claim and they need to sue someone let's try to settle it let's try to see what their number is and get it resolved uh, if you're defending maybe some money you know rather than
0: giving it to me why don't you give it to the, to the plaintiff and let's try to settle the case? I think it is fair to say that when parties fight, the ones who make out the best are the lawyers. So I'm just wondering, how do you guide your clients without being a social worker? How do you guide your clients to accept that sometimes half a loaf is better than no loaf? So that I do a, a
1: great psychological assessment. It happens I have four children and I'm pretty good at managing people's expectations. So I do try to find out early on what are the goals of the client? And my practice is unique in that I only charge flat fees, so I tell them right up front what the roadmap is and what they're going to be spending. And it does act as a form of budgeting where they know what they're going to be spending to get summons and complaint filed. The next step is either discovery or motion, and they know they're really the architects of of their lawsuit. I help them on the law, but I'm also helping them budget the case. Okay, and litigation is a long-term affair, right? It goes on for years usually? It doesn't always have to be long-term. A lot of cases, and most cases in fact, are resolved before trial. I think the number is 80 to 90%. So most cases, if you can get a good understanding of where, where the claims lie, you could resolve it in the first six months to a year. It really is the cost of litigation. And given that I charge flat fees, my clients are generally not overspending. So once you get the other side to start spending
0: money, things get resolved. Do you see a difference in civil practice between Nassau and Suffolk County or the city? It's very different practice. I mean, generally, the judges
1: in in downstate and the New York City courts are more liberal. Um, I do a lot of landlord-tenant law and the Nassau judges are a little bit more landlord-friendly. And in Suffolk, again, it's more defendant-friendly. It really depends on the demographics, but it's very much a judge-specific situation. I tell my clients the courts are like casinos. You never, know, you never know what you're
0: going to get, and judges often get it wrong. So now we're going to move on to a segment called What is on Your Desk? A recent client or matter which you can use to illustrate a teachable legal moment to the listeners. So, Janet, what's on your desk?
1: So right now, I'm actually hands on a very interesting case. It's a case of a subtenant suing um, a tenant that he leased space from because his computer software got erased when he moved away from the space. So the uh, subtenant sued... The, te- the commercial tenant, and also sued the IT provider that was doing services for the building. I entered the case for the IT provider, and uh, I attended a mediation at a flat fee, and quickly realized that the adversary and the co-defendant were running up the bill, uh, and uh, the case was going nowhere. We were in court mediation, court-mandated mediation, and there were a couple of smoking gun documents that basically resolved the case and would have ended the plaintiff's claims and strengthened the defendant's counterclaims. So after the mediation, the co-defendants requested that I represent them. I'm actually now in the process of preparing indemnities for them to hold my client harmless, my original client, and now we're going to be amending the answer and going after the plaintiff because the case is so weak on
0: his side and our client's claims are very strong. What do you tell a defendant who is forced to litigate, to defend a case where the plaintiff's case, the one who brings the lawsuit, is so weak. You know, it's very unfair. I mean, to
1: the extent that anyone can sue anyone, and they don't tell you that in lawsuit. People can bring frivolous claims or out-litigate you or have their uncle draft pleadings, and you must defend yourself. If you don't, you're going to be faced with a default judgment, and your life will be miserable. You really have to spend money, and litigation is not for the people who have no money. It's for the it's for the rich and
0: well-budgeted. And do you find that mediation is a better option for people who are litigating? And if so, for which party? The plaintiff or defendant? Or does it not matter? It really doesn't matter.
1: A lot of times plaintiffs who are the first ones to pull the trigger are more uh, impassioned to get into court. Uh, I, I do mediation. I've taken courses in mediation. And uh, like I said, from as soon as I take a case, I look for settlement opportunity. I reach out to my adversary. I do a welcome email. Let's get on the phone. Let's discuss this. And I tell my clients, how much would it take for you to end this case? Hold your nose, what's the number? And I do that on both sides, because litigation
0: is very expensive, and I'm not looking to make a windfall on any one client. So let's move on to the new uh, tenant stabilization law, which took effect very recently. It seems to be more favorable to the tenant than to the employer. Uh, Janet, what can you tell our listeners about this new law? So you're not incorrect. It's
1: very, very favorable to tenants, and it's basically anti-landlord. It passed in June of 2019, and I have many landlord clients who are struggling with keeping premises vacant rather than getting in a tenant who's basically going to have every protection under the law to stay where they are if why, there's a lease. Why was it this change affected? It's very much a sign of the times where there, there's the 1% controlling the economy and people who don't own property are disenfranchised and don't have any power. So all the advocacy groups have found that the courts are favorable to Uh, or the legislature is favorable to helping tenants. If you have a lease, possession is 9 tenths of the law. Uh, If you have a non-payment case, you're in a um, better situation because the courts will let you stay there because you have a lease. So the only power really is a holdover action where a lease has expired, but even then, landlords can expect to lose two to three months of rent at a minimum, and the courts will protect certain tenants, particularly those with young children or nowhere to go. Um, So it's the business of being a landlord. It hurts the one-of landlords, and the law basically treats um, multiple landlords with multi-unit buildings the same way as a one-of landlord who needs to pay a mortgage. The court doesn't distinguish at all between the two. So it's a business of being a landlord. It's not just about collecting a check. It's having uh, profits. It's having losses. And sometimes you just choose a bad tenant, and you're in bed with them until they leave. Mm -hmm. So cash for keys is such a big deal right now. Just get them out, even if it costs money because as soon as
0: you can get a good tenant in there, you're back to you know a good revenue model. Okay, but the burden seems to be uh, even harder now for landlords to make their case in court. So how does a landlord, if a landlord is listening, how does a landlord strengthen his or her case? It's very, very difficult. The laws just got changed where you, they can only collect one month security.
1: Anything more than one, one month is unlawful. It's very difficult to win as a landlord. I mean, it's really a question of how much are you gonna lose? So if you have a tenant in place, you just want to get the judgment of possession and get the warrant out as soon as you can. You know, ten, tenants are getting away with a lot these days. So you're just mitigating your damages, basically. Basically. And I do represent tenants and I do make the best deals I can for them. So one of my best lines is I represent both sides. But a lot of tenants, particularly in New York City, have an have a animus against landlords. They don't understand the cost of property ownership, the carrying costs and what it takes, even legal fees. They're never going to get that back the court rarely gives legal fees back to the landlord. And what is the situation in Nassau and Suffolk counties? Again, it's very similar. Nassau judges in particular are a bit more landlord friendly, but they're also trying to avoid trials, and they lean on the landlords to make deals. And that's very uncomfortable, particularly for the one of landlord who needs rent to pay mortgage. And I've had cases where a landlord will go into foreclosure because his tenant won't pay rent. And it's a very, very bad situation. Hopefully, there will be more of a neutral position as as the
0: legislature uh, acts on some of the bills in favor of landlords. Okay, And now we're going to move on to our next segment called Rest in Peace. Someone you know, a Long Island resident, client, friend, family or someone else who recently passed and made a great contribution to Long Island.
1: So uh, the the first person that comes to mind is a woman named Olga Sperber. She's actually a neighbor of mine in Great Neck and she passed away. Her uh, husband and my husband are both uh, first responders, they're volunteer paramedics, and she was at every fu- function, the fire company is called Vigilant Fire Company in Great Neck, she was at every function supporting her husband, serving dinners, organizing events, and uh, recently, two weeks ago, she passed away from cancer, and no one, many people didn't even know she was sick. She looked lovely, she was petite, she looked healthy, but she was battling cancer for many, many years, mm-hmm. and a very humble woman who unfortunately left too soon.
0: Okay. And anything else you want to tell our listeners, Janet?
1: So the only other thing I'd like to say is, uh, well, I I still approach law with a certain idealism. I'm here to help people. My life has been about civic service. My family has that orientation. And lawyers should serve the public uh, and try to help people solve their problems. And that's very much a tenet of my law practice. And if only most lawyers... Uh, could practice law in a little bit more of an idealistic way, not so much worry about overhead and billable hour
0: and more about just helping people, this world would be a different place. I agree with you. Certainly compassion is an important quality and it sounds like you deal with your clients in that way. Um, And certainly if any of our listeners would like to contact Janet, her, contact information is in the show notes for that purpose. And that's it for our 35th episode. Thank you Janet, Nina Isagoff for coming on the podcast today and to our listeners be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and while you are there please rate us with a review that might start. I just heard on the LA Law podcast that Suffolk County is offering free flu shots for residents six months and older who are uninsured and whose health insurance does not cover the shots. Flu cases have jumped more than 10% last week and stand at greater than 32,000 confirmed illnesses on Long Island this season. To find out where you can get a free flu immunization, you can call the Suffolk County Health Department at 631-854-0333. The LI Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.